Have you ever wondered how to tell if something was authentic, if something was truly real? Back on our honeymoon, when Cordy and I got married, we had somebody uh, basically send us to, to Mexico for a trip. And we went to Playa del Carmen. If you've been there before, it's absolutely beautiful. And we were walking the shops down in, in Playa del Carmen, and we're trying on funny hats and spraying, you know, different kinds of colognes and perfumes. And then I walked into this store, and I've always been fascinated by watches. Never been able to afford a really nice one, but... I've always been, you know, intrigued by them. So you walk into this store that has all these nice watches, Rolexes and Tag Hewers and name your Philippe Pateks and all your famous brands. And so we go in there and all of a sudden, you know, the guys start pulling them out and start putting them on my wrist and start telling them they're going to give me a really good deal. And I'm looking at this watch and it's like, well, this is a $20,000 Rolex and you're selling it to me for $750. Like, I'm not. Are you sure it's real? Oh, I promise. This is real. We get it straight from the, from the dealer. Yeah, I bet you do. How do you know? Like, how do you know what's real and what is authentic? The things you buy or the people in your lives or where you invest your money or the company that you're leaving a good job to go to work for, how do you really know that it's real? You know, years ago, before we had debit cards and Apple Pay and all these things, the, the main form of currency was coins. And so there was a lot of counterfeit coins that were floating around there. And so you had to kind of figure out what, uh, really, how do you tell if these coins are real? And, and, you know, I always kind of thought it was the the biting method, right? You see that in the movies? Like, oh, yeah, this is gold. This is real gold, right? Like my, you know, my canines didn't pop inside of it. So it must be real. But so I I was looking into this this week. Like, how do you know if a coin is real? I I, I don't really have any cool coins. Some of you guys might. But... Really, did you know there's a whole science behind how to know if coins are real? You know, what they do is they, you look at the seam, right? The seam of where the, the, the metal, the precious metal connects, and you inspect the markings. One way to tell is you stack them up because fake coins are often not the same size as the real ones. And so if they stack and they fall over, you know they're fake. Another way that you do this is if it's silver, some of you guys are going to go out and start investing in coins. I don't trust me on this. So yeah, but it, it, it's silver. You put an ice cube on it and if it melts, it's fake. You guys know that? I didn't know that. So if you have a quarter before like what, 1952 when they were real silver, check it out. See if it's, if it's real. But you know, we're always trying to figure this out in life. Like how do I know if something is authentic? And what we see is, especially with coins, but I think the same is true with watches, with jobs and relationships, that you need to inspect them. We've got to be able to turn things over and, and look at them from different angles and be able to ask that question, is this real and is this authentic? But that's not the only place we need to do this. We also need to do this with our faith. You know, faith is an interesting word. And, and you throw around the, the word faith in our culture, you'll hear things like, I have faith in my team this year. There's a game later. <laughs> or you say, I have faith in... The, the new politicians that we are electing, or I have faith that this situation is just going to work out. In but what happens when the team loses three in a row? Three in a row, the politician makes things messier than one before. Things don't work out. What happens then? Often we throw up our hands and we say, "I'm done with it," or "I give up." I guess they're not worth having the trust in. But I want to ask you though, if that is you, and I, we've all been there, right? We've all been there at some point. But if that is you, is that really faith? Is that really hope? 
See, I would almost argue that's more like a wish. I wish this would happen. A few years ago, I had a white F-150. It was a great truck. It went for 200,000 miles. That thing would go anywhere. But it started to fail a little bit. And I had battery issues, battery cables, and other things. Had to replace the transmission, all kinds of stuff. But I remember right before we got rid of it, we were going up to Wyoming on a camping trip. And I said, I really wish this truck is going to make it, right? I said, oh, I got faith in this truck. It's going to make it. And there was a little bit of hope, but it was a wish. Because the moment it got dark, that thing broke down. And it broke down five times on that trip. And I'm like patching it, stopping at, you know, auto parts stores. And, you know, it was a mess. And, but that was a wish. I was wishing my truck would make it. And I think a lot of us, don't we live our lives this way? We say, hey, I have faith that this is going to work out. Even our relationship with God. God, I have faith that this is going to come through. But really, it's just a wish. You know, the, the author of the book of uh, Hebrews in the New Testament, uh, we, we don't know who actually wrote Hebrews for sure. Uh, we know that they spent time with the apostles. Could have been Apostle Paul. Uh, but what we do know, it, it's considered a canon in the, in the scriptures um, in the New Testament, that it's a reliable book in the Bible, even though we're not 100% sure if it was Paul or not. But it was regarded as one of the main books that teach us about what it looks like to live out our faith amongst the early church. And I think Hebrews chapter 11 gives us maybe the best picture of what faith truly is when we look at faith in life. And it's this, Hebrews 11, 1, and it says this about faith. It says that, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Notice that word, assurance. Somebody say assurance. It says it's the conviction of things not seen. Somebody say conviction. Now, when you wish something, you typically, it's thinly veiled. It's a thinly veiled hope. It's a wish. When you wish something is to be true, are you sure? Are you convicted? Often we're not, right? We're just kind of hopeful, but it's not even really hope. But see, when we see this idea of faith, especially when we say, God, what does it look like to have faith? God is saying, it's the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. So ultimately what authentic faith is, it's trust. Somebody say trust. To truly have conviction and assurance, it means to trust. Now in this room, there's no doubt, there's many of us who with many different experiences and many different backgrounds, and we hear the word faith and we have many different emotions. For for some of us, we hear the word faith and we think that's kind of silly. The, The word faith, this idea of faith, it's just sort of silly to have faith in something that you can't see or something outside of yourself. For some of us, we hear faith and we get some bad, we get some bad feelings and bad thoughts because maybe we grew up somewhere or we were part of a church somewhere. Or we were part of a, some kind of tradition that said, well, the reason bad things happen to you is because you don't have enough faith. Faith wasn't strong enough and pray hard enough. Maybe some of us, we hear the word faith and we think, I just don't have it. I've tried. I try to muster the faith. I, I try to believe, but for whatever reason, I have trouble trusting anybody, myself, my spouse, God, especially. And so when you hear the word faith, I want you just to lean into this. I want you to ask, what does that word mean to you? What should we think about faith? And does faith really matter? 
we're kicking off a new series, as, as uh, we said in, in the video, that we're going to explore this idea of faith. We're going to kind of pick faith up, and I want to look at it from all angles, and I want to ask the question, does it matter? What does it do in our lives? But I think the first place we need to start is what is it? What is authentic? What is real? Faith. Is faith something that, like a coin, we have to bite? We have to try to melt or put ice on or magnets to see if it's real? Or is there another way to tell if the faith that as you as a believer say is, is real or you as a skeptic say doesn't exist? So I, I want to look at uh, just a great story about faith in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, grab those. Genesis is the first book in the Old Testament. It's the book that teaches us about who God is, why God makes things and It tells us the story of how God brings us saving grace throughout the greater story of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 12, we meet a character. His name was Abram, and his wife's name was Sarai, but God later changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. So we're just going to call them Abraham and Sarah. Does that sound good? And so in Genesis chapter 12, we, we, we really meet Abraham, and we see that God meets Abraham. Now, a little background on Abraham. Abraham grew up in a pagan worship system. So they believed in these little gods, these little territorial gods, these little stick figure gods. And anybody that had a rational mind thinking about this looked at that and saw that that was literally just a statue. There was nothing authentic or real about this little statue. But what we see in Genesis 12 is that Abraham has an encounter with an authentic God who speaks to him. And notice what he does. Look, look with me, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Now, what was the interesting thing about Abraham and Sarah is they were getting older and they didn't have kids. And so they they had no kids. And so God gives them this promise that he's going to bless them. He's going to bless the whole world through their family. And they're thinking, well, that means that you're going to promise me kids. You're going to promise me children. And we don't know what this looks like, right? Was it a dream? We see God speak to people through dreams. Was it a vision? We do see God speak to people through visions. Was it an angel that came down? We see that a lot through the Old Testament. Sometimes the angel of the Lord comes and speaks to someone. So we don't know. It doesn't really tell us in Genesis 12. It doesn't really matter. But we know that Abraham looked at the Lord who spoke to him, and he said, this is real. This is authentic. I'm not having this dream or this vision or encounter because of bad Chinese food, or I'm not having this dream or this encounter because of weird, spooky dreams. I'm having this encounter because I'm talking to an authentic God. And, and what you see here is that he does something about it. I want you to, to notice this. He heard God made this promise to him, and it says that Abraham believed it would happen. You know, one of the big criticisms that I think people have about faith, and you you guys may have this criticism yourself right now, and no doubt you know somebody who has this or you've heard this, is people say, when it comes to faith, I think faith is blind. Anybody heard that before? Oh, how can you believe that? It's just blind faith. Why would you believe all that God stuff, all that Jesus stuff, all that Bible stuff? That's just old school stuff, out of touch stuff. I mean, they didn't have evolution. They didn't have textbooks. They didn't have science back in those days blind faith. And people write it off as blind 
faith. But you know, here's what's interesting. Have you, did, did you guys know this, that everybody believes in something? I mean, even an atheist believes in something. If you're a believer and you believe in Jesus, you believe in God. Your faith and trust is in God as a higher power. An atheist, they just believe and have faith that there is no God. A naturalist has a belief and faith in scientific processes. They say evolution, macro evolution, we all are here because of an accident. So we have faith that that's the case, which if that's the case, then you actually can't have faith in your own thoughts because that means you're here by random chance and mutation and you're a complete mess, which we're all complete messes anyway. So if maybe you don't believe in God or you don't believe in a higher power, but you believe in yourself, right? You, you, you have faith in yourself or you have faith in politicians or you have faith in government systems. Like you might be watching online and you say, well, I don't have faith in anything. I invite you to check into your life. You do. We all have faith in, in, in something. But here, here's the reality that I want to get to here with Abraham. Abraham lived in a culture and in an environment where he believed in these, in these pagan worlds, they believed in these little regional gods. And so if I'm in Denver, I believe in the God of Denver. If I'm in Colorado Springs, I believe in the God of Colorado Springs. If I'm in Kansas City, I'm wearing a number 15 jersey and I'm believing in Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> That's false idol worship. But, but they believed in these little regional gods. And what, what pretty much they, I think they all knew was that, you know, they were trying to pray to this God to make it rain or to keep him safe. They were just holding something inauthentic. And I think the same goes with us. When our faith is in politicians, our faith is in government systems, our faith is in ourselves, our faith is in our boss, our faith is in my truck, our faith is in anything else besides the one that holds time, faith, and re- time and reality and creation in their hands, anything else is going to fail. Abraham realizes this. And even though Abraham was a complete mess, just like every single one of us being big time me, you're gonna see that he does something about his faith. Abraham, he sees an authentic God. He realizes that this faith that he has in God isn't blind. He's not just trusting because he read on a bumper sticker somewhere that he should move to Canaan. He is hearing an encounter with God. He's listening and he follows. And so notice this, it says, when we see Abraham, it said he heard God, he believed God, and he, he moved. It's the belief that authentic faith requires movement. Authentic faith requires that we do something with our faith. Abraham moved 400 miles, and guess what? His Tesla didn't have many battery stations in those days. I mean, his camel named Tesla, right? I mean, imagine 400 miles moving your family in those days. That's a long journey, and yet he did it out of faith. Now, did he mess up along the way? Yes, big time, but he, he, he did it out of faith. So faith requires movement. And, and this is where I land on this because I know if I look at my own life, I, so many times I've said, I have faith that God is gonna deliver. God, I have faith that you are gonna come through. God, I have faith that you are gonna keep your promises to me. But until you do, I'm gonna kind of hedge my bets a little bit. Anybody ever done this? Hey, hey, God, I have faith that you're going to work out my situation that I'm having with my boss at work because I, I love my job, but I don't like that situation with my boss. I got faith you're going to work it out, God. But in the meantime, I'm going to slide in a few applications around the place. I'm going to start doing some interviews just in case you don't come through. God, I have faith that you are going to bring me the, the right wife or husband. I have faith that you're going to work in my relationships. But until then, God, I'm just going to stay in this really unhealthy relationship with bad boundaries. And when we look at, we, we do this. And when we look at it, we go, God, why haven't you come through for me? God, I've had faith, I believe. And God's like, have you really? Because faith has something about 
it that it requires we move. Now, God's not going to turn his back on you. God's always going to be there. He's always going to be faithful. He's always going to be walking through all of this with you. But let's look at the reality is if we say we believe something, but we don't live it out, it's all talk and no walk. And I think a lot of us have found ourselves there, but authentic faith requires that we do something about it. Now, believe me, I'm not telling you to move, okay? I'm not saying you guys need to move 400 miles or fly to Canaan and live in the Middle East, but it is does require that we do something about it. I love this story in Mark chapter two. There's a story that Jesus, his ministries begin to grow. People are starting to really become aware that Jesus has got this supernatural power to him, that he's able to heal people and he's able to cast out demons, and which is really weird in our culture, but we see it all the time throughout scripture. He, he has all of these things that he does. And so he's teaching in a home one day and the, the, he's sitting in here teaching and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden the roof tiles start coming off. And I'm sure everybody's like, what is that? Is that a squirrel? You know, I don't know if they have squirrels in Israel, but if they did, they'd be like, is that a squirrel? And all of a sudden they see people lowering a guy in on a, like a stretcher into the house. And Jesus starts kind of a controversy because he says, your faith has saved you. Get up and walk. The guy like stands up and walks out. And what's amazing about this is that the, that man and his friends, they like believed that Jesus would actually heal him. So they went and found Jesus. They tore the roof off his house. And we get this picture of like, it's like the three little pigs in the house made of straw. No, I was in Israel in these homes. We're talking about tar and pitch. So they lifted up these roof tiles. They had to like dig out the tar tiles to get out. Like they ruined this guy's house. American Family Insurance was mad. Like, they were very upset. Jacob State Farm was like, I don't know, guys. Like, we need to do the discount double check, you know? So, but, but anyways, in this case, they bring this guy in and Jesus heals him. His friends and he had the faith to move and to seek Jesus so they could see Jesus move and Jesus did. And so I, I think in our life, you know, we see this in our life, how, how we, we fail to pursue and Abraham and Sarah, what I love about it is they went. Now, if you know the story of Abraham and Sarah, you know that they show us a masterclass of how it looks to be faithless in some cases and how to fall over their own feet and get in God's way. I mean, God makes this great promise to Abraham. Hey, trust me, I'm gonna bring you family and you're gonna bless the world through you. And Abraham goes, the first thing he does, he shows up in Egypt. He gets worried that he's gonna get killed because his wife Sarah is very beautiful and he lies and says he's her He's, she's his sister. Now, theoretically, she was kind of, right? They shared some family. That was back in the day, you know, when things were, Gen X lions are a little pure, right? I don't know what I'm talking about. But what we do see is that he lies to Pharaoh. He does it again later, yet God shows back up to him. God shows up again. And he says, hey, look, Abraham, I promise you, I reaffirm my promise to you. And I love this. In Genesis 15, notice this. There's this really weird uh, kind of exchange that God has uh, because Abraham starts to think that maybe God's gonna give him a servant. One of his servants is supposed to be his heir. And God's like, no. He's like, I will come through on my promise. And I love this. Genesis 15, six, notice what it says. And he, what, what did he do? He believed. He didn't wish. He didn't hope. It says he believed. He believed God's words, God's promises, and it says he counted it to him as righteousness. God counted that belief as righteousness. At that moment, Abraham 
was righteous, was justified, was set apart in the eyes of God, not because Abraham did something, because he had just goofed up multiple times, but because he believed in faith. It's beautiful. And so what happens next? Abraham goes and another decade goes by and God doesn't deliver yet. So Abraham and Sarah, they decide, well, we're going to take it in our own hands. And so Sarah's like, hey, Abraham, why don't you um, lie with my servant, Hagar? And Abraham's all like, you sure you want the, he's kind of like, you know, you sure you want the mint chocolate chip, right? Like you normally want the cookie dough. You sure you want the mint chocolate chip? Yeah, I'm sure. And then you have the mint chocolate chip and what do you do? Nah, I don't like it. Throw it away. It's a little different than that, but you know, kind of get the idea, right? So Abraham's like, are you sure you want me to have a kid with your maidservant? Yes, I do. I, I do. The moment it happens, Sarah hates Hagar. It's a disaster blows up the family. Things are an absolute mess. Abraham fumbled the football and it is an ugly situation. But guess what happens? God comes back again and reaffirms his promise. Four times Abraham goofed and God came back in and reaffirmed his promise. And then notice this in Genesis 21, God comes through. It's been 25 years. Abraham's been waiting 25 years for God's promise. He's fumbled the football every time he's had it. But notice God comes through. Look at this. Genesis 21 says, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. So here's cool. Check this out. Here's the great news. God doesn't turn his back on us when we're faithless. God is faithful when we are faithless. God is faithful even when our faith is small, which is all the time. (laughs) I mean, here's the reality, guys. God isn't looking at you and trying to measure your faith on a stick. He doesn't say, hey, once you have faith at level five, then you're in. But below level five, you've got to keep proving it to me that you're good. Like when we believe and we trust and we try to follow, even though we're going to mess up, God is faithful even when our faith is small. But the story of Abraham shows us that actually if we can start to trust a little earlier, we can avoid ourselves a lot of heartburn and heartache later, right? The earlier we can learn to trust, the earlier we can learn to believe and act, then the less heartburn and tums we're gonna have to take at the end of the day. And I wonder if you look at your life and you might see that your life, your history is filled with this. I believe God, oh man, God, where you at? I believe God, oh God, you didn't come through to me again. Could it be that you're not listening? Abraham messed up and then every time God reaffirmed his promise. Could it be that every time we mess up, it's because we're not listening to God's promises? Do you know that God used people to get this book in your hands so that you can on demand hear God's promises? That people died and were burned at the stake just to get this book printed so it can one day end up in this format or in that phone in your pocket? Like God did all this to you for you so that you can see his promises. So when you have that day and you do fall down, which you're going to, you can go home and you can reaffirm God's promises to you. Is that amazing or what? Like you don't have to wait for God to show up, cut an animal in half and walk through it, right? Like Abraham did, Right? Like you don't have to completely blow up your family for God to show up and go, hey, Drew, what are you doing, dude? I've made this promise to you. 
You and I have in our hands the promise that Jesus gives us that he is going to give you peace and forgiveness and guidance and grace and mercy and strength and the ability to say no to sin and the ability to love the unlovable because we are the unlovable that have been loved. Jesus promises these things to us. So here's the question I want to ask you. If you are having trouble trusting, then maybe you're not spending enough time listening. A few years back, I read a book by Jerry Bridges called The Disciplines of Grace. It's a great book. And he talks about, we get in this paradigm called the good day, bad day paradigm. So it's like, we have a good day, right? We got up that morning, man, I read my Bible. I prayed. I opened the door for the little old lady at the grocery store, right? I got gas for my wife before she left for work. So we feel really good. We did our thing. We were faithful. So God, you love me. God, you are going to bless me because of today. But then he says that what happens is we have these bad days where we don't read our Bible. We don't get any quiet time with God. We honk at the old lady who's crossing the street, right? Like we get road rage and we give somebody the Colorado high five. Is that what they call it around here? I don't know. You guys know what I mean though. And so we, we go, God, I haven't been faithful today. So I guess you don't love me. I guess I don't have much grace. And we live in this up and down structure of God, you love me, God, you don't, because I am not being faithful myself. But here, here's one thing that I love. If you look at Jesus, you look at Jesus' interactions, you're gonna see that Jesus never talks about faith like that. In Matthew 18, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and they start talking about who's greatest in the kingdom of God. And what they were asking was, which one of us, Jesus, are following you good enough to be the best? Jesus, when you become king, which one of us are you going to put at top position? Because we're doing the best job of proving that we have value and that we're worth it and we're following the rules. I love this. Look at Matthew 18. Notice what it says. It says, and at the time the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And I love what Jesus does. Notice what Jesus says in verse two. And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And he said, truly, I say to you, When Jesus says truly, it's like, listen up. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's like, well, Jesus, what does that mean? I love what this is saying. Jesus is saying what we need to have is a childlike faith. Somebody say childlike faith. You know, my my girls... I'm just blessed to be a dad of these goofy, three goofy little girls. And when, when I was, um, when they were, especially littler, they would just, hey, dad, hey, dad, hey, dad. They'd ask all these questions, right? They'd ask all these questions like, hey, dad, why, why is going to work important? Hey, dad, how does the barbecue grill work? Hey, dad, the dinosaurs wear neckties when they went to the office? You know, like all, all these great questions. Now Emma's almost 12 and Hallie's 10, so they know everything, of course, right? But, you know, at one point they believed that I did. But there's a reality when you're a kid, right? Like you believe that your mom and dad know what's best for you. You believe that your mom and dad are are trustworthy. You believe that your mom and dad are going to do what they say they're going to do. They're going to take you to your game on time. They're going to show up to your event. They're going to do these things. And there's a childlike faith that each of us, God wants us to have, Jesus calls us to, that says, trust me like I'm your father because I'm your heavenly father. Trust me that I know what's best. Trust me that I care. Trust me that I'm never going to leave you alone. Trust me that I'm always 
going to be there. And when you look at what Jesus says about faith in this book, you can see that Jesus talks about faith in, in terms of not things that we do, but not things that, that we do, but things that he does for us. When, when Jesus talks about faith, he says things like faith forgives and faith heals broken relationships. And that, that faith can move mountains and that faith can change lives. And those aren't things that we can do. Those aren't things that I can muster up enough strength to do. Those are things that God does. And so I think when Jesus talks about faith, he talks about authentic faith like this, that authentic faith doesn't trust in what we can do, but in what God can do. It's not about how hard I work. It's not about how much I pray. It's not about how good of a day I had. It's about what God can do for me and through me. And, and maybe the best example in the entire Bible is found in the book of Acts chapter nine. Don't turn there. Go read it later. But it's when the apostle Paul, who was previously named Saul, meets Jesus. If you know the story about Saul, he was fervent for the Old Testament law. He was, he was trying to arrest Christians because they weren't following the law. They were following this Jesus guy. They weren't doing things right. They were missing the picture. And the response to them was to throw them in jail until they get it figured out, until they get their heads right. But it was on this road to Damascus we see in the book of Acts that Jesus encounters Paul. And what Jesus says to Paul is this. He says, Paul, stop thinking of faith as this, as this information that you need to know and these things that you need to do. And think of faith as letting me do something through you and for you. Paul thought it was all about trying to climb the ladder to God. Paul thought it was all about trying to keep these rules. And Jesus is saying, it's not about rules. It's about relationship. Stop trying to do all these things on your own. Let me do them for you. And what's, what's beautiful is Paul's response was that you have to trustingly let God take control of your life. You know, Paul later picks up a quill and dips it in the ink and writes the letter to the church in Ephesus. And he writes in Ephesians 2, maybe one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible. And it's this one. Some of you know it by heart. For by grace, you've been saved by faith. You have been saved through faith. And it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. What's beautiful about that is Paul saying, nothing you did got you saved. You are saved by God's grace. Somebody say grace. God's grace saves you. Through faith, because you can believe God gives you grace. It wasn't how strong your faith was, how good your faith was, how pretty your faith was, how many things you did. It was faith. Remember what we said about Abraham earlier? Abraham did what? He believed and it was counted as righteousness. When you believe, you're saved by God's grace. It's God's grace that saves you. It's our faith that brings God's grace into our lives. And it says that through that, we have been created now to walk and works. We have been created now to do good things, to, to live out our faith, to be obedient, to follow Jesus, but that doesn't save us. That is just what happens after we've trusted and said yes to Jesus. And I want you to notice what, what, what Paul is really saying here. He's saying that authentic faith is not lived out because we pray enough, because we read our Bible enough, because we go to church enough, because we give enough money, because we've taken communion, because we've been baptized. He's not saying any of that. Authentic faith isn't seen through those. Our lives aren't changed because of those things. Our lives are changed because of faith. And then authentic faith is then seen by pursuing Jesus in our lives. 
there's this really cool story in Mark chapter five. There's a, a woman, we don't know her name, but we know that she had been dealing with uh, an, an issue with blood for, for years. She had spent all of her money pursuing doctors and asking people to heal her and to save her, and nobody could. And so she hears about Jesus. She starts to, to see what Jesus is doing in other people's lives. And we, we hear that one day Jesus is walking in a crowd, and this crowd is full, and Jesus is going to heal uh, the son of the official, Jairus. And he feels power go out of him. And he turns and he looks around and he goes, hey, who touched me? And, and his disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? There's like 10,000 people around you right now. Like, how are you going to know? But Jesus is God, so he knows these things. So he turns and he sees her standing there. She's crying. She's on her knees. And Jesus is like, sister, or he actually calls her daughter in this case. Daughter, your faith has made you well. See, all she wanted to do was touch his, the, the, his robe, like the the thread on his robe. She, she didn't need a hug. She didn't need a kiss on the cheek. She just needed to touch his robe. She pursued him. She knew that it was pursuing him that was going to lead her to a changed life. She pursued him because she knew that he had the power to do everything, to keep the promises that he did. And could it be that Jesus is calling you to pursue? Like you're listening. You're starting to move. But maybe what you're missing is this pursuit You just need to touch his robe. You just need to spend time with him. You just need to learn more of what he's saying. And then you can truly learn to trust, to believe, to know that it's true. You know, there is something beautiful that that happens when we realize that it's not up to us. It's not up to me to prove that I'm worthy or me to prove that I'm valuable or me to prove that I have what it takes, but to see that Jesus is the one that does it all for me. For by grace, you are saved through faith. And it's not up to you. Isn't that beautiful? And so I think this is one of the things that, that God wants us to see when it comes to faith is that faith, we need to be listening. Faith, we see it through our listening. We see it through our pursuit. But I think also we can see faith by just seeking to believe. You know, it's funny. A few years ago, the girls and I, we decided we were going to go to uh, California to get away. We we're going to go get a, hit the beach and go swimming and do all kinds of stuff. So we hopped on a plane. We went to Santa, uh, San Francisco, hopped in a rental car and drove to Santa Cruz and had an amazing time. When we were going back to the airport, they changed our gates, which is always really convenient, isn't it? When you show up to the gate, you're supposed to fly out of, and all of a sudden you get a text, hey, we moved you from gate A to gate C. Hop on the train. You've got 12 minutes, right? So as you can see, I was in a really happy, uh, I was really happy, really excited about that, you know, really looking forward to, you know, the plane ride home. And so we're like, I'm like, come on, guys, let's go in a not so nice way. And, I, you know, I'm carrying three backpacks, two car seats, booster seat, giant bag, laptop bag, you know, small cage of animals, whatever, Right. You know, I'm like a pack mule on the, you know, Grand Canyon. And I'm carrying all this through. And Courtney's like, can I help you with something? I'm like, no, I got it, right? You know, you guys know that one, right? I got it. Let's go. Come on, kids. And I think we do this in our life with our faith. We're like, God, I got it. God's like, can I carry that for you? And I love Matthew 11, right? Jesus is like, come to me when you're weary and you're tired and you're burdened and you've been laden by all of these rules and all these things you're trying to do and all these things you're trying to keep and all this way you're trying to meet my expectations. But you don't have to do that. Come to me and I'll give you rest. And we hear that, we're like, oh, that sounds so good. Here you go, Jesus. But four seconds later, we get anxious. We start to get worried and we pick it right back up again. 
And we're like, no, no, I got it, I got it. Could it be that Jesus is saying, give it to me. Let me carry it because my shoulders are big enough and yours aren't. There's a, a really beautiful picture in Mark chapter nine. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on top of the Mount of Transfiguration. He shows them that he is the son of God. They hear the voice of God. This is my son, listen to him. And then when they come down, Peter, James, and John are like, oh my gosh, like what did we just see? Like he truly is the guy we thought he was. This is crazy. And then there's like a ruckus and they come over and they meet the disciples and there's like an argument going on because there's a guy who brought his son to the disciples to heal his son and they couldn't do it. And so Jesus walks over, he's like, what's going on? And they say, well, I brought my son to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. And he's like, okay, what's going on with your son? And he said, well, I think he's got like an evil spirit or something. And then notice Mark 9, 21, check this out. It says this, and Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, well, from childhood. And it has often cast him in the fire and into water to destroy him. And I want you to notice what the father's ask is. He's got Jesus, the son of God. He's heard all these stories about Jesus. He's, he's probably even been to a place where he's seen Jesus do some things. And, and, and notice what he asked Jesus. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, that's not a crazy question, right? It's like, well, hey, if you can do something about this, can, you know, please have compassion on us. And I love what Jesus says. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can, can you see Jesus saying that? He's like, hey, Jesus, if you could do something, Jesus is like, if I can? Like, really? You know who you're talking to? Like, I'm the guy, right? Like, all the stories you heard, they're all true, right? Most, mo- pretty much all of them, right? They're all true. And he says, all things are possible for one who, what church? Believes. And immediately the father of the child, I love this. I love this. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but I want to believe. I believe, but I want to believe more. God, help me to believe, really, really, really believe. See, I don't know about you, but what if this is our prayer? Because we're all there somewhere, right? At some point, we are all there. God, I believe what you say, but man, I haven't seen you come through yet. I feel like Abraham and Sarah, we've been here for 25 years. I believe, but help my own belief. God, God I believe that you're gonna work in this job situation. God, I believe you're gonna work in my health situation. God, I believe you're gonna bring that special someone. I'm gonna have that child. God, I believe that you're gonna be able to let me retire. God, I believe I'm gonna be able to one day buy that house. God, I believe I'm gonna be able to share my faith with my neighbor. God, I believe I'm gonna be able to fill in the blank but help me really believe. Help me believe more and more. Help me understand what it looks like to truly trust and follow. See, some of us in here, in this room, some of us tuning in online today, we're in a place where we feel like we're hearing Jesus saying, trust me. And we've been making excuses. We we haven't been able to do it We've been saying that we just don't have faith. For other of us, we're, we're in a place right now where we had maybe a crisis of faith and we've stepped away. We're just like, God, I guess you don't love me. I guess you're not gonna come through for me. And for whatever reason, we've stopped believing that he is going to keep his promises. And if that's the case, then I gotta encourage you, don't. Our faith isn't in other people. Our faith isn't in situations. Our faith is in Jesus. For, for some of us in this place today, we're saying, God, I wanna believe I'm trying to believe, but I'm just struggling to believe. And maybe our prayer needs to be, 
I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus, give me faith. So I just want to wrap up with just, just a thought. How do we make our faith authentic? I think it's, it's simply, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's like faith in Jesus, right? It's not complex. It's very simple, but it's hard. And, and it's this, we have to listen. We have to listen to what God has said. We have to listen to his promises. We have to understand what he tells us, what it looks like to follow him and to truly pursue him in our lives. That second step is pursuing him and it's spending time with him. It's seeking to understand him. It's seeking to have him move and to speak. And third, it's taking what we've heard and it's taking what we've seen and it's believing. And here's the beautiful part about the more that we listen, the more that we pursue, the more that we believe, it takes us to the place where it's the cycle where we begin to listen and pursue and believe more and more. But the starting point it's making the decision to believe and say yes. See, some of us in this room today, some of us tuning in online, maybe at a place where you say, God, I've been hoping. God, I've been wishing, but I've never truly trusted. You can intellectually know something is true, but if you don't make a decision in your heart and in your life to follow it and to believe it, then it's just a thought. So is there someone here today, is there someone tuning online that for the first time needs to say, Jesus, I believe. And I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna pursue and then I'm gonna believe more. And then I'm gonna listen and I'm gonna pursue and I'm gonna believe more and more. If that's you today, I wanna just start by giving a simple opportunity to pray a prayer that says yes to Jesus. And if you've prayed this prayer before, I think it's always fun to say it again in our minds and in our hearts to reaffirm our commitment to Jesus. And if you're tuning in online, I encourage you to engage with this just for another moment or two before we close our time together. So I'm gonna put the words on the screen to a prayer, a simple prayer that you can pray. It's not the words that save you. It's not prayer that saves you. It's the trusting heart and belief deep inside of you that Jesus is who he says he is. He is gonna do exactly what he says he's gonna do. And so I invite you, as I read this, to pray quietly in your minds, to pray out loud. But if this is your first time praying this, I want you to know that Jesus promises that when you believe and you trust and you say yes, he sets you on the path of life and gives you not a wish, not a hope, but he gives you a promise that he is going to be the one that leads you to the place you were truly created to go. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner and in need of your forgiveness. I believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. I repent of my sins and I ask you for forgiveness. Please come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior, and guide my life from this day forward. Thank you for your love your grace and the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.